all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. Bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us. Email us. Email us. Email us. Um, all Bad Things pod at gmail.com especially if you are submitting listener research which thank you i am collecting all of your scripts like precious little acorns to a squirrel and we'll be saving them mostly i think for tax season (laughs) Um, but we're also trying to record and prepare episodes a bit ahead so we got some stuff coming up um and that way, also, uh, we can have episodes after to play after November 3rd, in case the world comes to an end. <laughs> Which it very, very well might. Which reminds me, vote. Have I mentioned that lately? Vote, vote, vote. But please, only vote once. Yes. No matter what you've been told, it is a terrible idea and a felony. I was going to say, it's not only a terrible idea, it's a felony. Yes, to vote more than once. So please, <laughs> kindly, only vote once. You can ignore, as with most of what he says, what the actual president of the United States had to say on that here in North Carolina. So that goes for most presidents, but especially this one. (laughs) So anyway, um, and I forgot last week I meant to mention this last week when we we recorded because we recorded what about a week ago so it was still mm -hmm. well i think it is still a current event with the california wildfires yeah man i'm not sure how california has anything left to burn but i guess they do Do you know how big california is? (laughs) i do but do you know do you know how many fires that they've had just this millennium i know that are i like i don't know how there's anything left i know but uh so i know we do have some california listeners so i Mm. hope you're safe Mm mm-hmm um, Please let us know if you need anything. And although the hurricane... Yeah, uh, oh, I, I Laura. S- Laura. Laura, okay. Was not, I guess, didn't prove to be as devastating as it was initially lining up to be. But yeah. if anybody was in the path of that, yeah. you know, we were thinking about you too. Yeah, so. yeah. And, um, well, as as always, like, if any of our listeners need help... <laughs> like Jesse, like Jesse does. There. Um, let a, like reach out to us, please. Seriously, we will always do what we can, whether that's if we can help ourselves or if we can, like, look for help for you. Sure, you know, or assist and help for you. You know, you're you're our people. We want to take care of you. We yes, help you. So, um, if this is coming out on uh, this episode is coming out on what is known as Labor Day in the United States. So um, happy Labor Day to everybody who celebrates or has the day off. Um, just remember that <clears throat> capitalism is really just an upgraded form of feudalism and slavery as it goes, uh, and that you as the worker are the strongest and most important unit in commerce. Yes. And listen to uh, what Dr. Richard Wolf has to say on his uh i'm learning a lot about marxism from dr wolf and uh i would 
greatly encourage you to do the same. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, forgot to, I forgot to interject while you were drinking. That's okay. <laughs> so what are you drinking? Oh, yeah. Good. Good segue there. Um, I'm drinking the same thing you're drinking. We are drinking the same. We are yes. drinking Oktoberfest in September. Because it today might be the last ninety something degree day we I get hope here. So. Yeah, we it, we think we might be getting the last gasp of summer, which sometimes has a reprise in September. So we'll see. Like when we uh, in twenty seventeen, three years ago, when it was like mid late December, we took our wedding photos at the arboretum. Mid late September. What did I say? October. December. December. Oh man, no, I was way off. <laughs> Samsonite. <laughs> <laughs> September. Uh, it it was ridiculously hot that day. It was like eighty eight degrees. Yeah, which is unusual. For and when when we went to look at the location, it was like seventy five. We were like, finally, like fall is here, and mm-hmm. nope, not on the day we took mm-hmm. the photos. But so this is Oktoberfest by Foothills out of Winston Salem, which will make a not Oktoberfest and not Foothills, but Winston Salem. That's right. Will make a slight appearance in today's episode. Mm. Yeah, we got a Winston Salem shout out today. Um, a reminder. One of our favorite places is the staycation as well. Yeah, not this year, but no. Yeah, we did. We did in December. That mm-hmm. was the last place. Well, we staycayed in uh, Chapel Hill too, mm-hmm. in Valentine's Day. But um, also just a random reminder: we do sign scripts and send them to people. So if you want a script signed and sent to you, we'll try to dig it up and send we'll it. Try to, to you. find it. Yes, <laughs> we'll send it to you with a cute John Oliver stamp. Um, also, we have international forever stamps, which means I can send it to you if you're somewhere else. And we can uh, support the U.S. Postal Service in the meantime. Um, and just remember, services do not need to be profitable. <laughs> I feel like everything is a rant on capitalism yeah. with me. but It might be the books you're reading. Might be. I'm reading Capital by Thomas Piketty. Piketty. Well, so he's French. I believe it is technically pronounced Thomas Piketty. Oh, okay. But, so I call him Thomas Piketty. I just keep hearing his name pronounced as Piketty. Or Piketty, I've heard too. Okay. Mm -hmm. But either way, that will also come up in today's episode. Isn't that fun? Something to look forward to. So speaking of today's topic, uh, this was something... I found just in one of my random obscure, what are some obscure uh, disasters, Google search, although I'm no longer using Google, I'm using DuckDuckGo and using a VPN and basically getting more and more paranoid. So that's fun for everybody to get to watch my descent into madness, but... Especially me. (laughs) Yes. But, and I found this, or I saw this one, and I was like, are you kidding me? I have never heard of this. And it's a pretty wild one. And I'm really interested to see if you've ever heard of it. Okay. Uh, But this is one of those episodes. So there are some disasters that are just really fascinating to research and write. And this was one of them. So this was... This sounds terrible, but this was a fun episode to write. And what I mean by that is just when it comes really easy, right? Because you're just enjoying the process Mm -hmm. of it. So it's the writing process that's fun, not... Not the details. Not the details, no, because it's awful, but... Uh, So, this is going to be six pages of text. (laughs) Typically, we have four. Bye-bye, Demetrius. Go, go, go. Go on. 
and 15 pages of pictures. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, this is the story of the Empire State Building B-25 crash. Oh, yeah. I have heard of this. You have? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. What do you know of it? Very little. um, And how did you hear of it? Well, I had heard about it before 9-11, but on 9-11, okay. before people knew what was really happening, mm-hmm. um, that was referenced several okay. times. Okay. Because because people were like, well, a plane has crashed into the Empire State Building. Yes. And people were like, but yeah, but that was like a, I want to say it was like a Cessna type plane. It was, it a, wasn't B, a, it was a bomber, a B-25. Oh, it was a bomber. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, they, they were right. Re- if you watch, you can watch like the live broadcast yeah. of 9-11 on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much all the channels, I think, mention that. That makes sense because I can see that's them what like... Because that's what they thought it was at mm-hmm. first. That's what everybody thought it was. An it was accident. just an accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can see them like peop- uh, journalists in 2001 at their little like... Um, Google was around then, right? Oh, in 2001? Yeah. 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 Like on their little computers, their slow dial-up internet... Or, no, there was they, cable. They had there was ca- cable that's true. They had cable then. internet. Yeah. Like googling has this ever has a plane ever crashed into New York City before, and coming up with that and putting that into the news story. So mm-hmm. yeah, but do you know anything about the circumstances? I, of I it? don't. I just okay. know that it happened. Okay. Yeah. So on July twenty eighth, nineteen forty five. Wow. Fifty six years before the notorious events of September eleventh, two thousand one. A wayward United States B-52 bomber accidentally crashed into the Empire State Building in New York City, killing 14 people. Wow. Okay. So sources, main sources for this were, there's quite a few, Atomic Heritage, The Bowery Boys, New York City History, Classic New York History, Discovery UK. This this site actually proved to be unusually helpful, findagrave.com. Okay. Gen Disasters, the Guinness Book of World Records, which we'll get to, History.com, National Interest, the New York History Society Museum and Library, NPR, ThoughtCo, and Wikipedia. I think I have a feeling I know where the Guinness Book of World World Records comes into play. What do you think? Well, I, I believe in 1945, the Empire State Building was the tallest building in the world at the time. You are correct. That is not oh, okay. the Guinness Book of World Records record I'm referring to, but you are correct, and we will get to that. Okay. All right, so I'm going to give a little extra trigger warning, and hopefully I'll remember to give it when we're getting to the part where we actually do this. Um, Most of the deaths that we cover on our show in general are unpleasant. Obviously, like, dying is not a pleasant experience. None of us want to do it, especially in a disaster. Um, But because of the nature of exactly what happened in this crash, there's going to be some especially disturbing imagery and descriptions. So just to give you a heads up about the manner of death, some people died in a very grisly way um, in this crash, and it was not good. So, all right. I'm not going to, <laughs> I'm not going to belabor. Oh, thank you, Jesse, for sitting on the pictures. You can keep them warm. Don't eat them. Don't eat the pictures. He's just laying. Well, he was, and then he was starting to, there you go. You just stay there. Yes. He's like, yeah, but now I have nothing to lay on. He's like, on. now I'm not laying on a thing. Um, so I'm not going to go into the history of the city of New York. <laughs> Pretty sure everybody knows what it is, where it is. <laughs> I'm also not going to do a geography corner. I think pretty much uh, New York City is a world city. Yes, it is. So I think we're... Plus, we've we've done 
disasters in New yes, York. Yes, we have. So. Yep. But what I am going to do is put into a general historic context the city of New York at the time of the accident, as well as the location, the Empire State Building. So New York has long been one of the largest and most, uh, and I couldn't think of a more modern word than this, but cosmopolitan cities in the world. Right? Sure, yeah. And especially the United States. Especially at that time, too. Yes, exactly. Because it was kind of one of the few in mm-hmm. the world at the time. And part of what contributed to that, the sort of cosmopolitan feel, was the so-called melting pot, mm-hmm. right? Because what happened in the early 20th century in New York... Well, it had happened well before that, too. But, You're right. Yeah. Even in the late 19th century, mm-hmm. but Ellis Island yep. specifically mm-hmm. was uh, late 1800s to uh, kind of the mid 20th century. Yes. Although the peak of immigration through Ellis Island was like the late 1800s through like 1924, I think. I would it was. say uh, pretty much just up to, up to and just past World War One. Mm hmm. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that resulted in greater ethnic diversity than a lot of parts of the country. Um, And it was also ground zero in a very different sense than 9-11 for the stock market crash in 1929, right? Because of Wall Street. That same month, the same month as the crash, October 1929, Two hotels were being demolished in Midtown Manhattan. They were the Waldorf Hotel and the Astoria Hotel. Oh, so that's how it became the Waldorf Astoria. Yeah, two separate hotels, and we'll get into that in a second. So both opened near the end of the 19th century. Now, the land that these hotels had been built on had a history in the Revolutionary War. So in September 1776, British troops landed on the east side of what is now Manhattan, in the landing at Kipps Bay, forcing General George Washington's troops to retreat to part of a farm belonging to a couple named Murray in an area near what is known as Murray Hill. Okay. Have you ever heard of Murray Hill? Uh-uh. So I have, but it was in the context of I Love Lucy. So you know how they, uh, back in the day, if you, like, we're going to make a phone call, you call the operator and place the call, and how there were name codes, like... I'll have Murray Hill 59099 or Klondike 12, da-da-da-da. You know they, they were probably station numbers, I believe no, is what, what they it, called. What it actually was was alphanumeric. So um, an example would be like Klondike 53633 is uh, K and L fall under the five on a dial, you know, like on a phone dial where the, <laughs> this is like going back to prehistoric well, it's still times, on your phone. It is if you look at it, but yeah. not many people have no. to do that. But yeah, each digit corresponds to certain letters in the alphabet, and K and L are five. So okay. what they were saying is five 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 three six three three. So those so Murray Hill whatever 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 M H would be the first two digits correspond to the first two digits. So that's how they place. Anyway, that's how I know Murray Hill. <laughs> um, at the end of the. Oh, hello, Jesse. He's just like staring just at me like, so earnestly. He's just like, hello. Just, he's almost at my eye line, too. It's a little weird. He's got a paperclip, too. Oh, thank you. At the end of the 18th century, a guy named either Thompson or Thompson, because record keeping was a little sketch back then, 
bought 20 acres of land in what is now essentially the heart of Midtown Manhattan. So to Smart give, investment. <laughs> yeah. To give some context, um, part of his land fell on modern-day Fifth and Madison Avenues. <laughs> Very smart investment. Yes. And how much do you think he paid for it? A uh, million dollars. $2,400. Jesus Christ. Do you know what that is today? A million dollars. $50,000. Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine for the equivalent of $50,000 buying 20 acres? I would beg, borrow, buying steal. 20, buying 20 acres anywhere. Yes. Much less yes, in the heart of New York City. Completely correct. <laughs> you are exactly right. So here is where my little fun side rant comes in. Did you know, and I didn't until recently after reading part of Capital uh, by, not the Marx book, the Piketty book, that inflation was generally stagnant and effectively at sometimes negative until the 20th century in the United States? No. So here, here's my first visual. Here is a chart of what 24, how $2,400, the price that Thompson or Thompson paid for the land, uh, inflated over time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it goes straight right up. Yeah. 1916, it mm-hmm. ups a little, but then look what happens around yeah, the 70s. Well, it's in... Skyrocket. Yeah. yeah. But otherwise, it hung at the same value equivalent for well, I mean, like two centuries. <clears throat> Well, look at 1942 and 1955, okay? Uh, I mean, there was a time when if you were just some average schmo in New York City, mm-hmm. you could buy property. Like, you could buy a condo well, or a... Well, clearly, Thompson. But oh, those... oh, I get, got you, like, living in a brown... Well, like, I love Lucy. They lived right. in a brownstone in Midtown Manhattan. Yeah. That, there was a time when you could do that. That that, that, side, I think. that time is far gone. Oh, yeah. You have to be a millionaire to buy any mm-hmm. sort of property in New York City. But, yeah, there was a time when, yeah, if you worked in a diner... But look oh, at from the seventies on; it's yeah. just out of control. Which yeah, for now, <laughs> yeah. That, that graph, that chart's about to go in the opposite direction. Jeez. So I just thought that was really interesting. So Thompson held on to the land for a little while until eighteen twenty-five, when he got a good return on his investment when he sold it for ten thousand dollars, or about two hundred sixty-one thousand dollars today. So he like quadrupled. Well quintupled his investment oh oh what are you doing computer okay it's still recording yeah yes okay (laughs) sorry we need a new computer anyway uh in other words our friend made a tidy little sum for just hanging on to something he bought welcome to capitalism my friends (laughs) money for nothing and chicks chicks are free. free thank you At any rate, (laughs) Uh, the guy that Thompson sold it to ended up turning around the next year in 1826 and selling it again for twice what he bought it for, $20,500. So that's over half a million today. Uh, And that was just in a year. The guy he sold it to could definitely afford it, though. So... Thompson, or, uh, did a guy Thompson? Okay, yeah, so there's this middleman who I'm not entirely sure could, again, record-keeping, couldn't figure out who got it after Thompson, but the guy that this other guy sold it to was a man named John Jacob Astor. Oh, I know that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe, I want to say he died on the Titanic. 
Oh, what a good trivia thing. I don't know. I think he did. Did he? I think so. Oh, that's interesting. I'm pretty sure he was on it. Aww. But then again, he was rich, so he probably didn't die. But yeah, oh, that, that's, you know, but yeah, that's, that's a name I know. Okay. Yeah. Well, he is the OG patriarch of the Astors, of the Astoria Astors, mm-hmm. or one of the richest people to have ever lived. Here is a picture of rich bitch, John Jacob, or Jimmy Jake. Yeah, he looks I, dead in the fucking eyes. Well, it's the it was a portrait back then, you know. Well, but if you're a hundred billionaire, well, especially at that time. Well, I mean, you're gonna be dead in the soul and the eyes. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, people. Yeah, I mean, people with that much money today are still sociopaths. But yes. imagine, but imagine what they <laughs> were. Then. Imagine, yeah, imagine how worse it was back then. Very true. Very true. Um. So here's here's an interest another interesting capitalism rant. That I think is interesting. Did you know? Is this, is this about a plane crash or about capitalism? <laughs> it will be. Okay. <laughs> Everything is about capitalism. That is true to an extent. So the Empire State Building would not have been built were it not for capitalism. So, I mean, uh, so, so here's an interesting thing. Uh, John Jacob Astor is amongst the adjusted for inflation wealthiest Americans to have lived. Uh, but he was not as rich as Jeff Bezos has become. Okay. So Jeff Bezos, as of the time of this recording, has surpassed two hundred billion. I was going to say, I think he no- just notably. did that last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, probably in the next month he'll pass another, you know, milestone. But, uh, but Bezos has some catching up to do. So Carnegie and Rockefeller. Oh yeah. Were they... both three hundred to four hundred billionaires. So. Um, but here's the here's the thing I love. So there's Astor, Carnegie, Rockefeller, Bezos. Like like money can't buy a good name. And, and plus and plus like to me he looks like the guy that led that cult um, mm. where everybody drank poison and with their with their yes with with yes, their Nikes on. Nikes. What was that? Oh, his name was John Doe. He kind of oh. he kind of looks like he does <laughs> kind of look like He's that. Got that he has the look. face with the ears and the the face with the ears like hopefully most people have. <laughs> uh, we know not unfortunately. Many people have unfortunately not all. <laughs> um, but yeah, and yeah, fuck that guy. Fuck Jeff Bezos. And, it's, I, and it has nothing to do. Hey, if you want to amass two hundred billion, by all means. But oh no, I I think that's ter- That's the worst part. <laughs> if you're going to do that. Whilst also not providing air conditioning in your warehouses because it's cheaper just to take people to the hospital when they pass out, then fuck you. And your $200 billion. You know how many conversations Bezos has been in on where they decide to risk workers' lives over... Because they're like, it's cheaper to just pay them off. He has it every day. Cheaper to pay off the lawsuits, the wrongful death lawsuits. Oh, and they they did bust some of their uh, strike breaker people this past week, too. But that's like a bottom of the barrel news story. Anyway. So anyway, back to the Astors. Yeah, yeah, back to the other fuck the original fuck fuck you families. The Astors bought a bu- bought up a bunch of New York City property, but on this site they built 
two hotels, the Waldorf Hotel and the Astoria Hotel. So it's both Astor owned. So the Waldorf was uh, built by John Jacob Astor Sr.'s grandson, William Waldorf Astor. So he's like, here, I'll be cute and make it look like it's not really my family. I'll call it after my middle name, not after my, my last name. And then the Astoria by John Jacob Astor IV. Apologies for the ridiculous voice for William Waldorf Astor. That was a little over the top. But anyway. I'm not going to look it up while we're doing this. But Mm -hmm. if anybody listening to this on Monday. Yeah. It's Friday. Yes. (laughs) Anybody listening to this on Monday, I'm pretty sure he was on the the Titanic. Titanic. I think he was. I bet we'll get a bunch of like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter feedback on that. Yeah. So let's get back to 1929. So even before the crash, business was looking down a little for the Astors with the hotels, and they wanted to move them uptown because that was a lot more happening at the time. You know, it's... Well, uptown is always more happening. Well, not necessarily, because... I was was joking. Oh, okay. (laughs) So what they ended up doing was consolidating the two hotels into one, right? The Waldorf Astoria. Mm Mm-hmm. I have used the bathroom at the Waldorf Astoria. I was going to say I've seen it. I've, I've obviously, obviously never stayed there. Well, because you can go into the lobby of any hotel, right? Like kind of like Vegas. Yeah, you can. Yeah. So when I was visiting New York City, the only time I've been there, summer of 2001. So I did we, see the We Twin went there Towers. four years ago. Oh, shit. You're right. Yeah. We did. <laughs> never mind. Ignore me. <laughs> the first of only two times that I have been there. Um, I forgot about that. I don't know why I forgot about that. Must have been a memorable trip. <laughs> it was a good trip. It was a good trip. <laughs> um, I was like, I want to go to the Waldorf Astoria because I heard it mentioned in I Love Lucy. Did I mention I was a major I Love Lucy fan as a child? What do you mean was? And <laughs> not compared to what I was in the past. And I was like, I want to go into the lobby of the Waldorf Astoria. I'm like, I'm going to use the bathroom at the Waldorf Astoria. It was very nice. <laughs> Did they have monogram towels? No, but they had floor to... Well, I don't think they did, to my recollection, but they had floor to ceiling doors, which are the best. Oh, yeah. Okay. That is class. That is the pinnacle of class. Why anybody thinks that it's a good idea to have, like, half your knees showing? Like, it's... Well, it doesn't go up that high. Let's hope. There there are some that are... Well, I'm sure there are some sketchy bathrooms out there. There are some terrible bathrooms out there. I hate terrible bathrooms. Okay. So uh, the Waldorf Astoria is currently between Park and Lexington Avenues between East 49th and East 50th Streets and does indeed take up that entire city block. Sure. They sold the site of the old hotels to Bethlehem Engineering Corporation in 1928 for somewhere in the ballpark of $15 million, which is roughly $227 million today. Remember, they were just buying it for the site. They're going to demolish the hotels. Mm -hmm. So the original plans by Bethlehem were to build a 25-story building on the site. They took out a loan to to start construction, but they defaulted on the loan, so that led to the land being sold again. This time to a group of investors incorporated as Empire State Incorporated after the state's nickname. These investors were rich little men, including Pierre Dupont of the Dupont Duponts, Mm -hmm. yes, and John J. Raskub, then a finance exec for both Dupont and one General Motors, 
as well as the chair of the Democratic National Committee. Because if there's one thing the DNC has always been, it's the working man's party. <laughs> yeah, not well. There was a time, but that time is. There was a way, little glimmer of hope. Past. That's that's not the case anymore. Now rich bitches are still at the top, so uh, they started planning their building to reach fifty stories instead of the original twenty-five. Now, also pertinent to this story, in the late nineteenth and early twentieth century, uh, there was a fun little international pissing contest going on to see who could build the tallest penis. I mean, building because people are ridiculous and shallow. Well, also um, to reserve space too. There was a reason for it to keep go- keep building up. You're correct, at least in like um, densely populated places like New York. Mm-hmm. But the and Eiffel was, Tower was... oh, is know. not a residential building, no, and not. that at the time was the tallest building in the world. Yeah. Um, also, this is at a time when steel, for the first time, becomes mm-hmm. um, widely used. Right, because it's cheaper to produce. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in 1889, well, we'll get into the real pissing contest part of oh, it in a um, second. Yeah. In 1889, the Eiffel Tower opened in Paris at a height of did nearly... Did you say 1989? 1889. Oh, okay. Did I say 1989? I think you did. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway. 1889. Yeah. <laughs> in 1989, the Eiffel Tower opened. Did we not know it was only... <laughs> Look at that thing. <laughs> 39 years... Or uh, 41 years old. No, 31 years old. <laughs> Let's just keep you on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then New York became the ground on which America was bound and determined to build taller and taller penises. And this was known as the race for the sky, which sounds like the moonshot, which all have vaguely sexual connotations. And this is what happens when men are in charge. (laughs) By 1929, the Bank of Manhattan building had reached 927 feet or 71 stories. Also around this time, one Walter Chrysler oh, yeah. of the Chrysler Corporation was building his own building. What do you think he named his building? I'm going to go with the Chrysler building. Oh, well done. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> because apparently he wasn't very creative. Or more likely he just wanted to name It has nothing to do with creativity. Yeah. It's yeah. like, let me slap my name on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was being... Like, so he was in the process, they were in the process that building, of building that building's it. still there, too. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course, yep. So that building was being touted as, like, this is going to be the Mac Daddy of them all, but they weren't revealing how tall it would be, right? Like, they're keeping that under wraps. So when Raskob, who, as I mentioned, was an exec at GM, a competitor to Chrysler, mm-hmm. right, heard that the Chrysler building was going to be, like, this big record breaker... Um, he wanted to outdo it. So he wanted the building that Empire State Inc. was building to be much larger. And they were only planning 50 stories, and that wasn't even going to come near any sort of... Like, that wouldn't even beat the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, 50 stories with one one-thousandth of the fire code that we have today. Yes. <laughs> so, so good luck when you get up there. <laughs> So the building was revised to 50 stories, then 60, and then 80 stories. Um, And it ended up even taller than that. So the original design came from the architectural partnership Shreve, Lamb, and Harmon, with the designer being William Lamb, 
who was able to pump out a design quickly in just like two weeks because he used a previous design of the Winston-Salem Reynolds building. Oh, which yeah, which is see. which is also still there. Yeah, it sure is. Also, very like Art Deco of yes, the time, right? Yes, it is. Right? Well, it still looks that way. Well, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yes, they didn't change the architecture of it um, as a basis. So he kind of had a previous design to work from. So that's how he was able to. And all of these buildings are Art Deco because that, yeah, that was the style, was at, the style at the time. Yeah. So more dick measuring ensued. Even throughout the crash of the stock market in 1929, right? So that did set things back because these are rich investors and mm-hmm. like people who make their money off the stock market. And I, I didn't go into it in the research, but I did read that like they took out a loan. Like basically, they were just bound and determined not to let it stop them, and it didn't. They just kept working on it. So the Chrysler Building was unveiled on May 27th, 1930 ensuring its place as the tallest building in the world at the time because they added a 185-foot, or roughly 56-meter, spire. Yes. <laughs> so the building isn't that tall, per se. It's the structure. But the prick at the top. Yeah. Yes, the structure. So it gave it an overall height of 1,046 feet, or 319 meters. This is the fun, fun, fun pictures. This, yes, this yeah, is that's the Chrysler it. building. Yeah. That's the Chrysler mm-hmm. building. I have the pictures a little out of order, but that is the Chrysler building. And it is a beautiful building. It's also uh, where the Ghostbusters defeated the Marshmallow Man. <laughs> Would that be the Stay Puffed Marshmallow that's, Man? That's the one. I'm pretty sure that was a Chrysler building. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that yeah, was. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, in the movie, I gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I think I've only seen Ghostbusters like once. That's oh, pretty long good. Time ago. I'm sure it still holds up. Special effects wise, <laughs> probably not. But <laughs> so, of course, because the Chrysler Building was finished first, they tipped their hand with the final height before the Empire State Building was complete. So Raska bought up more land so that he could make the Empire's base larger to make it taller. And that led the designs to continue, like, to be updated so that the initial, again, these these designs were revised so many times, but initially when they revised them with the larger base, it would put the building at just four feet, or a little over a meter, taller than the Chrysler building. But it'd still be taller, right, technically? But apparently Raskub was so paranoid that he legitimately thought this wasn't enough because he thought it was possible that Chrysler would unveil, his words, a hidden rod in the spire. (laughs) (laughs) And like telescope it up. Oh, my God. To be like five feet taller, and this is this is why this is a dick I was gonna say, well, but but imagine like these are the thoughts going through your mind. Yes! Like I mean, really. Because when you're a cabillionaire, what else yeah. do you have to occupy your time yeah, exactly. other than thinking like how you can prove that you're the biggest boy, little boy on the playground, mm-hmm. you know? It's just, oh my God, it is ridiculous. So, so he shot for the moon, making the final planned roof 
height over 1,200 feet or 365 meters. So that would surpass the Chrysler building just in the roof, let alone the the whole building. Its final height, so the Empire State's final height at its opening on May 1st, uh, 1931, to the tip of the little penis, was 1,454 feet, or 443.2 meters. Uh, so the Chrysler building had only held the record of the world's tallest building for 11 months. <laughs> nice. Way to <laughs> Which go. Which I'm sure made Raskov <clears throat> and GM feel very smug. So... Here is the Empire State Building. Mm-hmm. I've been on there. I've been to the top of that. Really? Mm-hmm. Have you? Mm-hmm. I I like went to the base of the Empire State Building. I've never been. Yeah, up I've, in I've it. been up there. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's still pretty fucking tall. I mean it's. Oh yeah, it's, I mean, it's huge. It was only outpaced by the World Trade Center. The new one. Yep. Mm-hmm. In the background. That okay. is the new one in the background. Mm-hmm. It would have been the, the Freedom Center. Tower. Isn't that what that's called? Something like that. We went, so. we went to the base of that. We yeah. did, but we were like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're not going in. Yeah, yeah, we didn't. Um, what did you think of the... Because the reason I didn't go up was because of like lines and, oh, it takes forever to get to the top. What was the experience like? Do you remember it? I don't really remember. I just remember being up there. I okay. mean, you're fucking way up there. Well, you're 15 And you're, feet you're looking down at buildings that are still like right. 50, 60 stories mm-hmm. tall. You know? Yeah, it must be pretty trippy. Yeah. We'll have to do that one day. Well, I mean, the whole, I mean, all of New York, once you get up high enough, you just look around, like, every significant building in New York City is 50 stories plus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. So there are a total of 102 floors in the Empire State Building, and the top floor is an observatory known for its sweeping vistas of Manhattan from a bird's eye view. I have one of those sweeping vistas. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's exactly what it looks like when you're up there. Yeah. And there's a spot where you look to... Like with those little binocular thingies? Well, no, you can you can see it with your own eye. The the New Year's Eve ball just stays on top of this one. You can see it from from up there. It just stays on top of this one building. But yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. It is very And you can see that, and that's the Hudson. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's very cool. New York is a really cool. It is. Town. I could I could never live there, but it's a cool place to visit. It's an amazing place to visit. Yeah. So the Empire State Building, and this will become important, has a steel skeleton mm-hmm. built off of two hundred ten steel columns, twelve of which which run the full height of the building, and the structure is split vertically with gir- steel girders at intervals of six to eight stories. Now, understandably, watching this building being built was riveting. <laughs> wink, wink, get it? Like riveters? Rivets. Rivet. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think they understood. <laughs> to people in the early 1930s, because there was no TV or internet yet. But it also, here's some pictures of the building. It's like, oh, there's another body falling. No. That <laughs> happened. Right. <laughs> But wow. isn't that pretty cool? Yeah, I don't think I've ever actually seen pictures of it being built. Yeah, like the skeleton. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is pretty cool. And it goes up in like stages. Mm-hmm. Yep, sections. S- sections, yes. Mm-hmm. Like the base steel first, and then the mm-hmm. stuff on it, and then the next. Yeah, that's pretty steel, cool. Uh, I don't. I don't think cool, I've ever seen it? a picture of it being built. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I'll try to be sure to put that up on our social meets. 
So as we know, near the end of the 1930s... So now we're finally on to the Empire State Building, where the tragedy takes place. Well, we've reached the Empire State Building. Okay, now we've we reached, reached it. it. Okay. Now we need to reach the time period. Okay. Because we're, remember, we're 1931. We it are. opened. So near the end of the 30s, things heated up in Europe as Nazi Germany began taking over, sparking the official start of World War II in 1939. Because this was not far removed from the peak period of immigration through Ellis Island, Ellis, Ellis, Ellis Island, because like I said, the busiest years were 1892 to 1924, a lot of New York City residents had some pretty big stakes in the war, even before the U.S. became officially involved after the bombing of Pearl Harbor in December of 1941. People literally still had family back in Europe who are being oppressed, killed, what invaded, what occupied, whatever, right? Yeah, there was a whole ship full of uh, Jewish people that we turned away. Mm-hmm. Because America is great again. So after Pearl Harbor... <laughs> Maybe that's what he's referring to. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Might as well be. So after Pearl Harbor, New York became the main port uh, that troops and supplies left from to head for the war front. An estimated 3.3 million servicemen and 63 million tons of supplies embarked from New York Harbor during the war. So it was a really busy port. Um, the home front became big business in the city, turning New York into more of what it is known today, like a bustling uh, industrial metropolis. Mm-hmm. The city that never sleeps. Mm-hmm. And that's so nice, they named it twice. So let's skip ahead a little bit to the setting of this disaster. Now we're finally, we talked about, we're at the place, we're at the time. So this is late July, 1945. Now, what comes to mind when you think late July, 1945 in World War II? Um, that's what I'm trying to remember with my dates. Um, Do you remember when the war ended? Was it July? August. August, okay. Mm-hmm. I knew it was in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um... We had already had, we had already had VE Day by yes. July. Yes. So v, VJ Day comes yes. in August. Yeah, obviously because mm-hmm. Hiroshima happens, and yeah, that's right. August, that's right. August seventh, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Victory in the European theater had already been achieved by the Allies. At this point, the United States has been formally at war for forty-four months, still a little shy of four years, but Japan was remaining a holdout of the Axis powers. The United States was mere days away from becoming the first country to deploy an atomic weapon that would kill and injure tens of thousands of people. Now, little side rant. Do you know how many people the bomb killed? Bombs killed uh, the two? I, th- I want to say the first one killed like 50 or 60,000. I only have totals. I forgot oh, okay. to put down the... Okay. So between Hiroshima and Nagasaki... I would say like 150,000. Yeah, the estimates are between 129,000 and 226,000 people. Yeah, they still don't know. Yeah, no, they're not going to know. Some people literally got vaporized, Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, they'll never know the exact number, yeah. And and the number of people who died after that because of the effects of the the bomb is almost Mm -hmm. untraceable. Yes. Not untraceable, it's almost. Incalculable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or as Michael Scott would say, incalculable. Incalculable. The world was literally on the brink of ending the largest and deadliest war in the history of the world. Do you know the total number of casualties? Again, totally oh, estimated it's during like, World War II. It's like 50 million. 56 in- including to civilians. 5 million yeah. people. Yeah, 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 everybody. Yeah, meaning everybody. That is just 
And it's still, I mean, that's another, horrific. that's another sum that you'll never be able to ever fully right. get to. Exactly. Especially because the world population was so much less. Like mm-hmm. per capita, that's a much more significant part of the population mm-hmm. than it is now. And they were also about to usher in a whole new era where the actual annihilation of the Earth itself was a genuine possibility due to atomic weapons. And I think we've mentioned this on the show before. Well, the annihilation of humankind, <clears throat> not of the Earth. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. You're yeah. right. You, that's, that's a good point. You're correct. Of humankind. The Earth can handle it. You're, you're right. Yeah. On July... Uh, so, the Potsdam Conference. Remember mm-hmm. we've mentioned yes. that before? Okay. Mm-hmm. It was in progress in Germany in late July. So on July 26th, 1945, this is two days before this disaster, the Potsdam Declaration was issued by uh, U.S. President Harry Truman, U.K. Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and President of China, Chiang Kai-shek. And it was... Chiang Kai-shek. Oh, I thought it was doing so good. That's okay. Chiang Kai-shek. Okay. It was the document that was basically presented as Japan's last chance to surrender. Like, mm-hmm. here's the terms we'll accept for an unconditional surrender in or or and here's what they here's what they said would happen. Otherwise, they would face quote prompt and utter destruction. Mm-hmm. End quote. Cuz they knew what they had. Right. They knew that they had the bomb. I don't know if the other people signing that treaty, I doubt that they did. I doubt that Churchill... Oh, you mean, I, I got gotcha. you. Yes. We well, Truman knew. knew. Yes. <laughs> Truman definitely knew. We only had a total of three, though, and one of them already, had already been detonated mm-hmm. in the desert mm-hmm. to test it. So, of course, by the time the declaration was issued, the atom bomb was ready to be deployed. On July 23rd, so a few days before this, like, okay, here's your last chance, the short list of targets was given to U.S. Secretary of War Henry Stimson, so the short list of cities that would be bombed. The next day, Truman let Stalin in on the plan. Stalin knew. But unsurprisingly... amazing. But here's the other thing. Unsurprisingly, Stalin already knew. Because his spies knew. So he already kind of knew. So... As we know, Japan did not surrender, and those bombs were detonated, but the moment this disaster happened, July 28th, was literally the day before Japan rejected the Potsdam Declaration. So the fate of the world on this day was literally like history was hinging on this couple of, period of couple of days. And then on July 28th, a plane hit the Empire State Building. That's pretty fucking crazy. Isn't that wild? I thought that was so important to like build up to. It's just... Maybe they were listening to the radio and just weren't <laughs> paying attention. Well, okay. So, 27-year-old William F. Smith, one of the most generic names someone could come up with for an American person, Bill Smith had served in the Air Force for three years following his graduation from West Point. Oh, that's right, because at the time... At the time, it's not officially a branch of the um, armed services. The Air Force? It is the Army Air Force at this time. Okay, okay. That's why he's a graduate of West West Point. Point. Oh, okay. Is West Point um, Army? Army. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I don't think I... Yeah, the Air Force wasn't its own individual branch until, like, the 1950s. Okay. That's interesting to know. So he was a lieutenant colonel at the time. And he was also an Alabama native, a highly decorated airman, and he received the Distinguished Flying Cross and the Air Medal. 
both with clusters. Have you ever heard of that? I had to look it up. Mm-mm. So apparently um, in the Air Force, they'll put these little um, pins on certain, like the ribbons of certain metals. They're little oak leaf clusters. Okay. That indicate like, not only did you get the original metal, but then you got it again and again and again. Like it, it indicates oh. levels of... Uh, no, no, I get e- it. Plurals. It's like, it's, like, it's like stickers on a football helmet. You see that in yeah, college football. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, except like they could Except, died. yes. Except much more meaningful. <laughs> yeah. Yes. On the other hand, those guys you see in college football with lots of stickers on their that. helmet go on to make millions of dollars. So, And also could die and, yes. and, and yeah. die a horrible death. So, Or so, just brain trauma. Yeah. One or the other. So, Smith had flown more than 40 missions in Europe and was serving with the 457th Bomb Group. Oh, I forgot to shout them out. I also looked at their website for some of this information. They're okay. also a source. The 457th Bomb Group's website. It's so cute. It's like little geocities. Sure. Anyway, the group had finished their most recent mission on June 4th and were temporarily furloughed. After the furlough, the members of the group met again at an airbase in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where they awaited further assignments. Now, to jump ahead a little bit, the group would end up not being used as personnel again because the war was quickly wrapping up and they were eventually disbanded um, on August 28th. So on the morning of Saturday, July 28th, 1945, William Smith flew out of Bedford Army Airfield in Massachusetts. And he was flying a B-15... Sorry, I knew I was going to say that at some point. A B-25 Mitchell bomber. I kept saying B-52 in my own head forever. This well, is those were also, but those were also bomber planes. Not in World yes. War II. It was developed after World oh, War II. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Because I went to look up the B-52, and that's when I discovered it wasn't developed until after World War II. And I'm I like, what did B-52 I get wrong? I the B-52 was also the Flying Fortress, so I guess I had that wrong in my head. Well, anyway. but I think it was used in Korea and on, and, and NAM, not, but not in World War II. So this is the Mitchell B-25. Okay. Or B-25 Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Not only is this not the B-52... <laughs> it wasn't even made by the same company. This is not a Boeing aircraft. This is a North American Aviation okay. aircraft. So, uh, so do, do the majority of bo- of these bombers, the B twenty fives, were made and used in the Pacific Theater, or made and then used in the Pacific Theater during the war, and. Uh, as one would figure, it's a bomber. It drops bombs from the air, just in case anybody didn't know what a bomber was. And so apparently it was actually a pretty easy to handle plane, but also extremely noisy. I can only imagine those. Uh, that le- ended up leading to various degrees of hearing loss amongst most of the pilots who piloted B-25. So ugh. its length, so this isn't an enormous plane. Its length was just under 53 feet or 16 no, meters. No, kind of, they're kind of sleek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And its wingspan is just over 67 feet or 20 meters. Now, the, the B-25 Mitchell was retired, I think, in 1979, I think I read. There are some varying accounts of a lot of point or several points in this story. So I might, I'm going to be giving a couple of different scenarios because there, I saw just conflicting information and sources that I would give equal weight to. So one of those points is there were varying accounts of where exactly Smith was headed out of Bedford and why. 
but the consensus seemed to be that it was a routine personnel transfer flight. So in other words, getting military people to places they needed to go, right? Specifically, he was headed to pick up a commanding officer. I couldn't find any more, like, who was this person, but apparently just a commanding officer in the New York City region, and we'll get to that in a second, and then go on to Sioux Falls, right? Because to join the rest of the 457th where they were. Now, also on board with Smith was 30-year-old Sergeant Christopher Dmitrovic, a fellow airman. Um, I didn't find any other information, so I don't know if he was specifically also with the 457th, but... And then there is also a Navy aviation machinist mate on board named Albert Perna. Now, Perna was 19 years old, just 19 years old, and was along just for the first leg to New York. And he was just hitching a ride. Like, he literally was just like, hey, pal, can you, can I just sit on the plane with you and, and get it get to New York with you. And here's where one of the like most heartbreaking little details about this comes in. He wanted to visit his parents in Brooklyn because <clears throat> they had just gotten word that his brother, who was 22, was killed in action mm. uh, back in May of that year. Uh, so his brother, Anthony, uh, had been aboard the USS, I'm going to guess, Luce, L-U-C-E, off of Okinawa, Japan, when it was attacked by kamikazes. Mm-hmm. And he was one of 126 people killed in that attack. So his parents had just found out. I'm sure they were flipping out and grieving. And he was like, okay, I need to get quick from Massachusetts to New York. Hey, let me just bum a ride. And it doesn't end well. So the first confirmed destination of the ill-fated B-25 is a little murky. But it was apparently either Newark or LaGuardia. It was it was one or the other, but we'll get into a little bit of why there's some confusion there. So Smith, Dmitrovic, and Perna took off from Bedford in the morning of that Saturday, July 28th, and were approaching the New York metro area. Extremely pertinent to this story is that there was a major dense fog over the sure. city. Sure, yeah. And that led to poor to zero visibility. When flying, and so this is part of where there are a number of a, a number of conflicting reports. So there's a couple of possibilities here. At some point on the flight, Smith contacted LaGuardia Air Traffic Control and either requested permission to land at LaGuardia or asked for a weather report. <clears throat> so, if the 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 accounts that he asked to land result in that being a no-go. So they didn't clear him to land and he was told to continue to Newark. If instead he was just asking for the weather report, then LaGuardia Air Traffic Control suggested themselves that he land there, but he asked for and got permission to just go on to New York. So the, or Newark rather. So the, it's not clear who wanted to land in LaGuardia, who wanted that that B-25 to land at LaGuardia and who wanted it to go on. Mm -hmm. But the result was the same, that he didn't land and Mm -hmm. that he did continue. So uh, reportedly, regardless, LaGuardia did advise Smith to maintain an altitude of at least 1,500 feet 
about 457 meters while flying over Manhattan. For obvious reasons, these buildings, especially the few that are reaching like world's tallest, like the Empire State Building, are like 1,400 plus feet. So. so now Smith is trying to proceed to Newark, but he found himself basically flying blind, like through fog. And we have talked about spatial disorientation, yes, right? Yep. Um, the idea of not knowing up, down, left, right, like that came up in the JFK case, mm-hmm. right? JFK Jr. case. So likely due to disorientation, Smith ended up, advertently, inadvertently, it's not very clear, lowering his altitude to an estimated 500 feet. Oh, wow. Around oh. 152 meters, wow. yeah. that's really low. And in doing so, he found himself in... Like, I can almost picture this as a movie, and it would be terrifying. He found himself in a maze of sky-high buildings. Like, can you imagine being like, oh, where am I? And then suddenly the fog breaks, and you're like, holy shit. Yeah, it'd be like something out of fucking Star Wars. Yes, yes. <laughs> so much like that. Yeah. Except he can't except just, like, whip his little, yeah. little except, TIE fighter. Except he's not flying the Millennium Falcon. Oh, my God, no. It's just, uh, like, this little bomber plane. Uh, so, flying at a relatively low speed of 225 miles per hour. Now, I say relatively low for a plane. That is, re- yeah, for a plane, that is. <laughs> not for anything else. It's still fast. He actually maneuvered and avoided several skyscrapers, including the New York Central Building, the RCA Building, which is now the GE Building at Rockefeller Mm, Center, and the Chrysler Building. He was able to get around all of these, like, through little maneuvers. I'm imagining he was an experienced and decorated Air Force pilot who had flown these bombers. He was... He was well, the most used... capable to be able to try to get out of it. And this. he's also used to maneuvering quickly, I'm sure. Yes. But unfortunately... <laughs> just, just not around not buildings. A, yeah, not in a major metropolis. So unfortunately, his twists and turns put him face-to-face with the belly of the Empire State Building. A woman named Nanette Morrison worked as a typist on the 38th floor of the building... And later recounted that the plane was so close, she was able to see two of the people oh aboard. Like, she God. saw the people. She said, quote, I almost waved to them. Then I realized they were in trouble. End quote. And I'm like, um, you were in trouble. <laughs> that too. <laughs> like, you were in really big trouble. Oh. Smith pulled up and tried to maneuver his way out of it. But the world's tallest building would prove to be too large a foe. Flying around 900 feet, or roughly 275 meters, the B-25 crashed into the north side of the Empire State Building, ripping a hole about 18 by 20 feet, or 5.5 by 6 meters. Almost two stories. Between the 78th and 80th floors. Jesus. Okay. Okay. Some some descriptions are starting here, first with equipment, but we'll be getting into people, too. Um, the two engines detached from mm. the plane. One literally slid clear through the building. Through, through the Empire State Building, flew out of the building, and landed onto a penthouse apartment at a neighboring building. Very interestingly, that apartment belonged to an American sculptor named Henry Herrick, Herring, sorry, um, but he was not home at the time, fortunately for him. For him. 
That's almost that's also reminiscent of 9/11. The the second plane that hits, you can see it from every single angle. Mm. Uh, one of the engines just flies right off god. and lands in the street. My god. Yeah. Uh, that's t- that's how you know with these yeah. fucking idiots. They're like, oh, painted it. Like you can see that second because there are there is one known video of the first plane hitting, right? Which was just chance. Mm-hmm. There are thousands of videos because all the news cameras were exactly. right on the, bur- on the smoky building, and yeah. from every single angle, you see that engine f- just flying off. Oh my god! So yeah, so if you're one of those people who believes in that shit, fuck I, you. I don't know. Just stop living. <laughs> I don't know. Just don't leave your house, please. Don't go on the internet. Ugh. Or actually, that's probably that's probably why you don't leave your house because you're on the internet all the day. <laughs> the second engine and the plane's landing gear collided into an elevator shaft, resulting in a fire. So, got some pictures. Mm. Here's the building on fire. Oh my god! Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Here is, and we'll talk about why it looks like this is just a reporter standing there, because I swear this is just a reporter standing there. That's the hole. Yeah. that's. Mm-hmm. It looks like an investigator. I, it might, yeah. you're, you're not wrong, but reporters yeah. got up there, too. True. We'll talk about he doesn't have his little fedora with his little <laughs> press, press hat. Yeah. yeah, with his little press thing in his, in his This hat. was on the street, because obviously Jesus, wreckage yep. came down on the street. Oh, I got two of those. And this is what one of the rooms like look like afterwards. Look at all the paper like Mm -hmm. singed. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we've since seen that again, unfortunately. Oh, oh, yeah. The three servicemen on board were all killed instantly, making them the first three casualties. Unfortunately, Perna's body wasn't found until two days later. They were all presumed dead, right? Sure. Um, but Perna was found two days later down an elevator shaft. Mm. He had been thrown down an elevator shaft. The other two um, on board had been burned beyond like identification, but they were clearly identified as, as some way dental records. I don't know. Uh, maybe medals, dog tags. In the category of like... <laughs> Small favors, silver linings, because it was a Saturday. The building, which to be clear, the uh, the Empire State Building is an office building. It is not yes. residential. Mm-hmm. It was not as occupied as it would have been on a weekday, though more than you might suspect, because during the war, a lot of companies switched to six-day work weeks from five. So it wasn't uncommon for people to work on a Saturday. The offices the plane crashed to included the War Relief Services Department of the National Catholic Welfare Conference, which is an organization of the leadership of the Catholic Church in the United States, working on issues of social welfare and education, which is just like, ugh, of course it was like people trying to do good. Of course. Yeah. 20 people were working there that Saturday in that office. There were also... 50 to 60 people on the 86th story observation deck. Can you imagine being a tourist? Yeah. Uh, Or because it was so foggy out, maybe they didn't see it. Maybe, you know, that's, that's possible. That's possible. There are conflicting... Here's another point of conflicting reports as to how many 
of the remaining victims, so there's 14 people total. Three were on board the plane, so there's 11 further victims. Um, some reports say that all of the rest of the 11 victims were employees mm-hmm. of the conference. Mm-hmm. But the first victim identified was 40, 40-year-old Paul Deering, who worked at the Buffalo Courier Express. Oh. So that sure sounds like he was a tourist, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't find any more information on him, but yeah, it seemed likely that maybe he was a tourist. So, uh, unfor- oh, and this is, again, trigger, 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 trigger warning. His body was found on a window ledge on the 72nd oh, floor, Jesus. leading people to believe he fell while trying to escape from a higher floor. I watched an old newsreel on YouTube about it, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure it showed the body on the ledge. And I was like, wait, I'm sorry, this is a newsreel that was shown before like movies for public consumption. But I guess... Well, well, maybe World War II. Like, I was going to say there was a world war guess, going on at the I guess time, maybe so. it just hardened people like dead bodies. <laughs> it's anyway. just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Another, sources, another source says there were eight casualties from the conference. So that might be more likely, given this information about Deering. Um, and then yet another source says all casualties were just on the floors directly impacted, which means not on the 86th floor. So there's some... Some conflicting information sure. about that. One employee of uh, the National Catholic Welfare Conference and survivor, Ellen Lowe, said, quote, It was hell on earth. I was typing. Suddenly there was a blast and our whole office burst into flames. This was followed by a thick, acrid smoke. We ran to the windows and hung out to get some air. End quote. Her co-worker, survivor Therese Fortier-Willig, later recounted, quote, it was a very small universe at that point. You're stuck there on an island with fire all around us. A couple of the women had passed out from the smoke, and I had a handkerchief in my pocket. So I used that to cover my nose and my mouth to pre- protect me from the fumes. Very smart, by the way. And somebody opened the window. And I'm sitting there, and I thought about my rings. And I thought, I wouldn't be around to have them. Someone else might as well have use out of them. So I took them off my fingers and threw them out the window. Okay. Quote. I feel like that's a very World War II era thing. Like people are just like used to death almost at this point. So they're just kind Probably. of practical about it. Another conference employee, survivor Catherine O'Connor, described the scene. Quote, the plane exploded within the building. There were five or six seconds. I was tottering on my feet trying to keep my balance and three quarters of the office was instantaneously consumed in this sheet of flame, end quote. She goes on to describe a co-worker named Joe Fountain being burned or being on fire. He actually managed to escape, but he ended up the last victim. He died a few days after the crash. Mm. Um, in the end, a total of 14 people died, three <clears throat> aboard the B-25 and 11 on the ground, most newspapers reported 13 casualties initially, so it would appear that Joe Fountain was the only one to initially survive. The remaining victims, so those who I have not mentioned yet, were Margaret Mullins, Patricia O'Connor, Anne Garlack, Jean Sozzi, or Sozzi maybe, John Judge, Mary Kidzirz, sorry, Kidzirzka, Mary Lou Taylor, Lucille Bath, and Maureen McGuire. 
26 others were injured, which is pretty remarkable given that there were 50-plus people just a few stories above the crash. Mm -hmm. They actually were able to save a lot of people or evacuate a lot of people. So given that the crash happened in the middle of midtown Manhattan, Saturday or otherwise, there were many witnesses to this. And rescue workers arrived quickly. Firefighters were able to contain the resulting fire 80 floors up in the 1940s within 40 minutes. That's pretty fucking good. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Part of the building lobby was converted to a triage station and staffed by 60 doctors and 80 nurses sent from nearby Bellevue Hospital. And uh, Which we've also mentioned before in this podcast. Yeah, Several is it times. a triangle? Sure. Yeah, I believe that's where they okay. took them. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, I guess because this was the 1940s, a shocking number of people were able to go inside the building, including reporters who were reporting like, like yeah, there's no, scene. yeah, there's no real building security <laughs> no or caution tape. no, maybe even more shocking was that the then mayor of New York, the Fiorella LaGuardia himself visited the 79th floor. Well, that kind of makes sense. I mean, presumably after the scene was secure. But he said, quote, it was just an oven. Jesus. Now, are you ready for the Guinness World Record part of this? Oh, sure. Uh, Am I? I don't know. This has been pretty fucking depressing. This this is the bonkers miracle side of it. So one of those treated by rescuers was Betty Lou Oliver. She was an elevator operator, so remember, back in the day, elevators were. were manual. Yes, they were. Didn't really, uh, operators were mostly phased out with automation around the 70s. But anyway, she was working on the 80th floor. The impact of the crash had thrown her from where she was standing, and she ended up getting beat up and badly burned. After she was initially treated, sorry, Jesse, by first aid workers... I'm not sure why they did this, but they put her alone in an elevator to send her down to get out of the building. Okay. Unfortunately for Betty Lou, nobody realized that the elevator cables had been damaged by the crash. Witnesses heard, so the doors close. Witnesses heard what they described as a gunshot as the cables snapped on the elevator Sending already traumatized Betty Lou plummeting down oh 75 God. stories toward the basement of the building. The, and she lives? The elevator car crashed on impact with the basement, though its landing was weirdly softened by the cables themselves because they had all fallen to the bottom. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this helped poor Betty Lou survive the fall resulting in a broken pelvis, back, and neck. So she was fucked up physically from it. That's They had to, like, dig her out of the yeah. debris. But she lived. Jesus Christ. And her ordeal resulted in her being the still reigning Guinness World Record holder for longest fall survived in an elevator. And let us well, hope I'm that's gonna go, never I'm going to go out on a limb that nobody's trying to oh challenge God, that record. Yes, please. Nobody try to beat it. Oh, here, here's like them carrying out somebody mm-hmm. injured. Mm-hmm. But somebody here's, burned. Here's Betty Lou. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Fucking little Betty Lou. That's her. And then she's like, 
okay. She was like, let me get back on let an elevator. I'd be like, fuck that. I'm never getting on an elevator for the rest it of was my her life. Job, I know, but even so. Look how cheery she looks like. Talk about a trip. Well, she's on some, she's on some 1940s drugs, Hopefully, too. Hopefully, for yeah, her sake. She's on some good shit. Oh, my God. Like, I think heroin was legal back then. Can she's you probably on that. fucking imagine? No, I can't. No. Oh! Our, the, the elevator, well, the elevator where I used to work. Mm-hmm. Um, because our floors are 20, the, the floors in the buildings where I used to work were 20 feet high. Okay. So when you're going to the second floor, you're essentially going to the third floor in a, okay, st- in gotcha. a standard building. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of our supplies were kept on the fourth floor, which is... Eight stories out right. here. There came a time after a while because that building just itself was fucking falling apart. I was like, I'm not taking the elevator. Good. Because there was a couple times where it just kind of shook uh, before it got to the top. And it would do that when it would start its descent. I'm like, uh, no, fuck that. I'm like, no, I'm not riding on this thing again. I, I am not a big fan of elevators. I used to be actually scared of them as a child. Now I just don't love them, but I'm okay riding in them. And this is like my nightmare. Yeah. I just don't want to hear the elevator. <laughs> mm, like, good point. you know what I mean? Like, like when we were in Vegas, or feel it. Like it just it went like oh, yeah. right up and down. Like, like you, no, yeah. yeah, you barely feel it. Yeah. No, it's yeah. Fuck that. So holy shit! Can you not? Can you imagine poor Betty Lou? Oh my god. <sighs> well, she looked pretty happy and on her. She on, was very on chipper her, on her heroin drip or whatever the fuck she <laughs> very was on. Chipper Betty Lou. So despite being literally hit. By a bomber, the Empire State Building did not suffer any catastrophic structural damage. Now, if you compare it to the building that would later dethrone its status as the world's tallest building, the World Trade Center, built in the early 70s, it was hardier because it was built with an aforementioned solid steel skeleton. Mm -hmm. Twin towers were built with lighter structural materials more common to the modern era. Now... The steel that was used to make the Empire State Building was remarkably capable of high levels of distortion before failing. Like, literally, it could bend almost completely in half before snapping. Hmm. Like, so it was able to absorb so much of the impact instead of failing. So that ended up being the the thing. Now, I'm not going to go any farther into why the Twin Towers, like, literally just imploded, just fell straight down, right? That's a whole... That's a whole I, other topic. I could, but I'm not going to. Whole other topic. Yeah. When I tried to Google it, all that came up was the fucking oh, truther oh, site. Of course. Such bullshit. But anyway, um, it's just worth noting that this is not, and I completely understand, this is not nothing close to a direct comparison, but one building survived being hit by a plane and one didn't. So, again, not saying it's an exact comparison at all. <laughs> two very different types of planes. Yes. Two very, very different. different speeds. Two very different like uh circumstances deliberation yeah mm-hmm. the, the whole thing so that's that's one that's was one was an accident the other two were intentional you're right yes. uh, now but what i am saying is it's just really remarkable that the building didn't really suffer any major structural damage that compromised the integrity of the actual structure i, I just think that's pretty amazing well, they, they built shit to last back they then they did build it to last the total damages were estimated to be about a million dollars which is just under 14.5 million today that is not a lot. That's not a lot, <laughs> considering a fucking bomber yeah. just ran into your building. Yeah, and that and included, took out two floors essentially. Yeah, and that included blown out windows and buildings sure. as far as ten blocks away. Oh yeah, and the damage to Henry Herring's artwork in his little penthouse. His artwork alone was worth a million. Like a, oh wow, a, adjusted a million. Okay, seventy five thousand back then. So like, well, no wonder he had a penthouse, right? 
<clears throat> so despite the destruction to the floors that suffered direct damage, the Empire State Building was open for business that Monday morning, 48 hours later. Jesus. Which is especially creepy if you consider that they didn't find poor Albert Oh, Perna yeah, that's right. Until so the next, Monday. Yeah. So, like, people were going to work in a building with a dead body that they didn't know just about in knowing. hanging around somewhere. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, then again, it is New York City. That's just probably <laughs> common in any well, building you walk into. There's probably a dead body in all of them. So, despite being a pretty open and shut case as to, like, what caused all this bad weather leading to pilot error, the crash played a pivotal role in U.S. federal law. At the time of the crash, victims of wrongful actions of a federal officer or employee were barred from filing lawsuits against the United States itself because the U.S. was under so-called sovereign immunity. The only way around this was for individual citizens to get Congress to pass a private bill granting them, like, specifically compensation. So it's a workaround. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you pass a law that supersedes this law sort of a thing just for me. Um, so seeing as the person who totally accidentally but still caused the crash, William Smith was an active and on-duty member of the United States Air Force. Several months after the Empire State Building crash, the U.S. government offered money to the families of the victims as victims' compensation. Some accepted and some instead pressed ahead in a lawsuit against the United States to force the hand of Congress, and it worked. This resulted in the August 1946 passage of the Federal Tort Claims Act, or the uh, the FTSA, which is not anywhere near what it was. FTCA. I like the other one. I like the other one better. The FTCA, a piece of legislation that had been languishing in Congress for like 20 years until this lawsuit. The FTCA resulted, with stipulations and exceptions, as with every law, of course, in U.S. citizens being given the right to sue the federal government of the United States. And Congress specifically made the law retroactive to the prior year to allow the lawsuits of the Empire State Building crash victims to continue. Hmm. Not my friends. Oh, you sorry. always do that. Well, but it's dramatic. <laughs> I know, but it always scares the cat. Is the story of the Empire State Building B twenty five crash? Yeah, that's wasn't a- that a wild ride? It was. I mean, like I said, I had just known it had happened. I just, I did not know anything about it. It's amazing. It's such a story. I mean. Just, uh, see, this is why I'm I'm like, I know it's weird that I'm like, I'm excited about this and this is so, but it's because it's so interesting. The, the crazy shit is that that was really his last obstacle. Like, he'd already been through, yeah. like, I can't believe what the- And then the here, f- so he's like, oh my god. And he's just like, god damn it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the last, yeah. like, the last thing he said was a curse because, oh. Well, that would have been the last thing I would have said. It would have been the first thing, too. And just the details of, like- the one guy wanting to go home to visit his poor family. I know. So that poor family ended up having to bury two sons, mm-hmm. two young sons at once, which is awful. Um, and then, and then poor Betty Lou, which I, I mean, like that's the upside to this whole story is that she survived. But holy shit! And who would put an injured, burned person on an elevator? Do you think they were like? Well, well there she's was no elevator operator. She there... knows. Right? She knows she'll be fine. (laughs) Oh, my God. But, again, there's no paramedics at the time. Yeah. 
Um, and that's just... Uh, yeah, there, well, there, there, there just wasn't. There's a lot of chaos too. I mean, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to blame no. the first responders. It's just, it's just, it's a, different, just, it's just like a different time. Wild. There kind of was no first responders back then, there except for fire and, and police. That's yeah. kind of it. Well, and then they know? got all the doctors and nurses yeah. there pretty quick, but they they are not paramedics. Yeah, they're, and they're not first responders. No, they're, no, that's where you they're take doctors the vac- and nurses. Yes. Yeah, that's. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, this is fucking crazy. I just thought this was a really wild story. It is. It, so it absolutely is. And it's obviously it's so easy to compare it to the World Trade Center. Yeah, because it's obviously completely different circumstances. Uh, but it's but this, it's still I a think plane. These are the only two times planes have crashed into skyscrapers in New York City. Probably, yeah, probably. I can't think of anything else. I mean, I'm sure it's happened elsewhere in the world, somewhere. I like other skyscrapers, yeah. yeah. But uh, I meant New York City. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I, just I can't even think of anywhere else that's happened in the United States, although it probably has. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe we should look into planes crashing into buildings. Oh, geez. We'll start a new series. Oh God. No, I don't. Very I don't, depressing I don't want series. to start a new series about that. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what else know. to say. Like it's a just it's just a wild story. It is. And unfortunately it resulted in fourteen people. Fourteen yeah. fatalities, but Yeah. And wow. not dying well either, which is no. horrible. I feel so bad for them and their no. families. And like just before the fucking war was over too. Like things are like gonna a get week good. Before. Things are gonna get good yes. soon for everybody. But yeah, I thought it was interesting Post-war how you put boom. that how you put that in perspective the day this happens the whole world is kind of hinging on this treaty. Yes. That nobody knows that how it's going to turn out. either the war is going to end and a lot of people in Japan are going to live or the war is going to end after a lot of people in Japan get nuked and now the world has changed. Mm-hmm. Because now there's atomic weaponry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll do a, maybe we'll do an all bad things on the testing of the atomic bomb. Oh, jeez. But anyway. So... Um, this has been another episode. I'm sorry, I forgot what no, I was going to say. No, say that was the... That was <laughs> the Empire State Building B-25 crash. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.